0: Good news in stormy times. Certainly been a stormy year 2020. I know a bunch of us are ready for Tuesday to be over with. And let's get to the new year 2021 and and see what that looks like. I I want to take a couple minutes for you at Radius and all of our Radius campuses just to share share a little bit of encouraging news. I had a friend of mine, Bill Kokenauer, he called me uh, just the other day and just checking in on us. He checks in on pastors all over the country and he's connected Really, from the West Coast to the East Coast, North and South, and and uh, he he just asked me questions about radius and what's happened with us through the whole COVID season. And I, I just want to encourage you because the phone call really encouraged me. He was he was uh, particularly laughing out loud at some of the things we've done, like selling chicken and produce to give to waitresses and then uh, take care of our hairdressers in our town. He he was just really enthused that. You and I and our leaders have have stayed after it. Even the number of folks in person and the number of folks online compared to the rest of the country. He actually he actually told me he knew very few folks that are having that high participation in the midst of this. That was just really encouraging. He also uh, asked me about our finances, and I wanted to thank all of you, all of us, taking this this. Weird road together for continuing to support this ministry and allowing us to continue to be generous as we have been throughout our history. Uh, it's it's fun being a part of this team. It was super encouraging and really a kind of a crazy time. Let's see here from him. So I, I want to encourage you if you're a partner, man. Thank you, thank you for your ownership. Whether you've been at home or whether you've been in person or or however this thing's worked. And then I, I really want to encourage you to thank your campus pastors because. Uh, those guys have led in extraordinary ways during this crazy uh, crazy climate as they try to care and, quote, shepherd, right, and, and even lead. So give them a pat on the back if, you're, uh, if, you, if, if you see them today. I want to give you some more good news. One of the things that has been really positive for us in, in this chaotic season is we're able to shore up some stuff that we, we, we didn't love about Radius. One of, the, one of the things that we didn't love, we've always been excited about our elders, um it's how Radius is led so if you're new to Radius we're we're led by a group of men that uh we call elders based that on a variety of passages in the New Testament but there's only uh right now there's only four of us um and that seems kind of ridiculous with a couple thousand people in the mix at Radius and so in in recent weeks we've appointed uh Uh, 23 total shepherding elders. Every one of the campus pastors is represented in that number, but then uh, 17 other. 17 other shepherding elders, which will have the emphasis on the local, whereas we have what we're now calling directional elders. They used to just be the elders for Lexington, and now they're elders over the whole. And so what our plan is to take those directional elders, just four of us, and expand it to six or seven and have them represent really all the campuses throughout the Midlands. But now really with great joy, we're able to present to you some shepherding elders that their focus is on the local and uh, you'll be hearing from them in the future even today your campus pastor will probably introduce either all of them or a few of them and you'll get to start seeing their faces there'll be an email coming out to you partners to explain who they are and what they do but man uh we're excited to be able to care better for our our growing church which we're excited it's growing it's just you keep hustling to get to a point where we we really can know everybody and this is one of the ways where. We hope to stay small even though we're getting large. And so we appreciate these men and ask for you to pray for them as you, as you get to know them. And if you know them already by name, then, then pray for them and thank them for taking on this new challenge. We're in a series. Uh, we're going through the book of Mark and... Uh, we're we're kind of at the end of Mark chapter 4. We've skipped just this, this really amazing section, but we don't have time for it. And we have a story today that uh, should meet us right where we are in uh, this season, in the United States, in South Carolina, with all the things that are, that are going on. Back in the day, uh, when I was a young man, which is way back in the day, uh, I, I decided to coach a little church basketball team. So we coached. Coach, it was fun. I had a blast with it and got to know people in the community by doing it and uh, uh, just had a blast. And one day we had a game and game's over. Everybody's out in the parking lot. This is church basketball, right? And uh, this lady comes running in the gym door and I'm over still over toward the bench and she's yelling my name. I really don't know who she is. And she's yelling that there's a fight in the parking lot. And so it was kind of one of them moments. Like, I, at the time, I weighed about 165 and um, <laughs> hadn't been in a whole lot of fights up to that date. And and so I, I got up out of my chair because I'm a man, right? Like, I got to go. So I get up out of my chair. And instead of running to the door, I, like, I kind of walk as, as slowly as I could without looking like a coward, right? So I'm, I'm walking toward the door where there's evidently this fight. And as I'm coming, she goes, they've got clubs. And I'm, I really want to slow down my pace at that point. And I'm, I'm working my way to the door. And my 17-year-old brother, who's with me, comes flying by me. Now, you have to remember, now, baby brother is significantly larger than me, and uh, he comes flying by me. And so I pick up the pace and kind of follow him to the door, and he hits the double doors. I just still remember, hits the double doors, and as he hits it, before he can really even figure out what's going on, he is screaming at the top of his lungs. He sounds a little bit like Mike Tyson. he got kind of a high voice, and he's like, get in your cars right now. And all of these guys, mostly high school guys his age, sprint to their cars and drive out of the parking lot. It was the most amazing thing you could ever see. Like, all he does is hit the door and they are gone. They're in the car and they're speeding out of the parking lot. <laughs> now, I feel like, yeah, yes. Now, looking at the lady who told me to come, like, it was, it was a proud moment for me. But I was really proud of my brother because that was a moment of what? Straight up power. Right? It was straight up power. He said a couple words. Everybody in the parking lot moved. You know why? Because they all knew him. Because they had heard about the fights he's been in. They knew the crazy eyes that he has at times. The Mel Gibson crazy eyes. And they knew how strong of a man he was. So when he screamed, even though he was still a boy, they ran. We got an amazing story of Jesus demonstrating his power in the book of Mark. Makes any other story we could tell just almost comical because this story is uh, a story of terrific power. Check it out. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As the evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind. Although a few boats followed, but soon a fierce storm came up and high waves were breaking over the boat and began to fill it with water. And Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care where we're, that we're going to drown? And Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Very simple st- story. If you uh, spent much time in church through the years, I'm sure you've heard it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the gospels, three of the uh of the writers who recorded the life of Jesus, they record the story because it's dramatic. It's just a dramatic story of straight up power. And so they all put it in front of us and many of us have heard it and you've heard all kinds of messages on the storm. And I want to give you another one because I, I think that right now in the middle of yeah, our struggle really with this disease that um, certainly has been politicized and yet, it's had its major effect on all of us that we are in the middle of a storm. It's an interesting one. In this passage, he actually calls it a fierce storm. Now, they're in the Sea of Galilee, and if you know the Sea of Galilee and a little bit of history about it, 700 feet below sea level, so it's down low and it's fairly warm. And then not too far off, there's a... There's some larger mountains where there's some really cold air. And so oftentimes that cold air and that warm air would meet. And then you can watch the meteorologist uh, one night this week and take it in. But you, those two things come together and can cause a big storm. And so, man, these guys, Peter and uh, his brother Andrew, James and John, they've been in storms before. This, this ain't no big deal. They've been on the Sea of Galilee. They're professional fishermen. Uh, a little storm ain't going to shake them at all. But this, this is a fierce storm. Like it is one where you see them lose their grip and begin to shout for help. And I got a feeling uh, some of y'all might be in the middle of that right now. So this this little simple story, I hope will encourage you. It will center you. It will bring some peace in the middle of all that. Now, <laughs> what in the world caused a storm? Well, we, we know the science, right? So... Perhaps it was just this abnormal storm as the, as the uh, cold air meets the hot air and it produced something. We call that a lot of times in our world, mother nature, or, or we've been throwing the word science around a lot. Maybe so the uh, random science event where those two things uh, meet, uh, perhaps Satan caused it. We'll like talk about that a whole lot in our culture, but perhaps there's some, there's some scholars that read this passage and. Wonder if the enemy of God actually caused this storm. And then there'd be even others that would propose that God produced a storm to, to test the disciples. And the scripture doesn't tell us. So I don't I don't want to propose it. But this I do want. To, Tony Evans says it like this. All storms pass through God's knowing fingers. There's no storm in your life that he didn't know about. He's not surprised about it. Uh, And honestly, as I read this passage, I have to wrestle with the idea that he's comfortable with me going through storms. It's a little, little line at the beginning that I skipped over to get to the fierce storm. It's this line that Jesus says to disciples. He says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So so here's what happens. Jesus is the one that initiated this journey. So he looks at the disciples and he initiates the journey to go across the lake knowing that they're going to run into a storm. He he leads them into a storm. Did he produce a storm? Who knows? We know he leads them into a storm. And so literally the disciples, they've done nothing wrong. They're obeying Jesus into the storm. It's kind of a crazy concept, one that we often don't want to hear. We want to assume that storms only come when we do something wrong. It's just not a biblical idea. It seems that Jesus is constantly using storms to develop us. There's a pretty, pretty couple really interesting little lines in here. You got this story and he says, although other boats follow, did you catch that? It's in parentheses in NLT. And then he actually, they have him sleeping in the boat, but they tell you that his head is on a cushion, which is, Really cool because it's just like this detail that certainly for ancient writers, you don't throw in there. If you're writing fiction, if you're trying to move the audience to a particular way of thinking, then you would never include those details. Those are actually great apologetic arguments for Mark writing a true history of Jesus' life. But I particularly, I've been chewing on this idea of that cushion all week. When Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, like he's out. (laughs) <laughs> right. Like he uh, evidently, they had these cushions that a lot of they, they call them rowing cushions. So when if you were rowing the boat, you'd sit on this cushion to protect your backside while you were while you were rowing the boat. And uh, Jesus is sound asleep on it, which just uh, I, I kept trying to chew on it and understand it. And I, I thought about Jesus asleep in the storm. And yet just a couple chapters ago, he's wide awake early in the morning to hang out with his father. Later, we're going to see him wide awake in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross imploring his father, right? Like, like, so he's, he's awake when he's, when he's hanging out with his father and he's asleep under the greatest pressure this world has to offer. And then, then you got the disciples, right? Like, Opposed to that. The disciples in the middle of the storm, they are wide awake. I imagine their eyes as big as they can get, and I don't know about you when you're afraid, but my voice gets louder and more dramatic, and I'm yelling. I can imagine them yelling at each other and yelling at Jesus, and they are fully awake in the storm. I don't know if you remember the disciples when they're with Jesus when he's praying. (laughs) They're asleep. They're 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 sound asleep. They can't stay awake to pray with him. I kept thinking uh, as I watched Jesus calm in the middle of the storm, that he would uh, wish the same for me, his disciple, and you, his disciple, if you know Jesus, that there's actually this gift of knowing him and walking with him that potentially we could be the people that are calm in the midst of chaos, right? I still remember, uh, can't forget it. The young dad, I think my oldest Isaiah was maybe six, seven. And uh, I had like early meeting, like a 5 a.m. meeting. I'm walking out of the house and I hear some, some banging in his room. So I walk down to his room and he's having a seizure. And uh, so his body's stiff and he's kind of shaking on the floor. He's falling out of the bed. I start screaming at Cheryl, who's still asleep, and I pick him up and uh, he's like a board. And I'm running through the house, screaming, uh, running to the car, freaking out for, for my child. I'm trying to figure this thing out as a young dad. And there was just this, it was this chaotic morning. Obviously things turned out fine and he was fine. Uh, but I got to the end of it. And I realized man, I did not even say, please God, spare my son. My first reaction was to fully engage and do all I could, which nothing wrong with that, right? I hope you do the same. I hope you fully engage and do everything to uh, take care of, uh, of somebody in need. But, but then there should have been like this trigger to make me pray on the way. It would, it would, have, it would have been a, a really healthy way for me to move in at full speed into caring for my kid. I certainly think right now in the place that we are with uh, the election and our country just in a couple of days, uh, who knows when the results are going to hit the fan. But, man, we, the believers, ought to be the calmest, the most collected, the people who uh, know who we are in the midst of this storm, right? There's a great writer's name, Oswald Sanders. He wrote this uh, classic called My Upmost for His Heist. And here's what he says. He says, God expects his children to be so confident in him that in any crisis, they are the reliable ones. He says, crisis actually, uh, crisis reveals who we rely on. I thought, man, God is so good. So in two days, at midnight, when the results aren't in or are, we're supposed to be the ones that are the most reliable. We know who we are in Jesus We're supposed to lead this place whether they want to follow us or not. This this world that we live in, our little world of the United States, we're supposed to lead it because we know the living God. Interesting line, Jesus sleeping on the back of the boat and his head on a cushion and the disciples woke woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care about that we're going to drown? I love the, the fact that they challenge Jesus on whether he cares or not, right? Like, so you and I know the end of the story. Does he care? He came down from heaven to be a man and he's on his way to the cross. We know the whole story. They didn't. They want to know if he cared or not. Do you, do you care? And I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's encouraging to me to watch them freak out and question him because I've done the same. Because I often don't value his desire to develop me through storms, to develop me and give me this great gift of faith to deepen my faith so that in the future I won't be dominated by fear. He continues to develop me to his glory, but for my good by testing my faith. Tim Keller writes "Pretty, pretty great line. I thought, God can love somebody and still let things bad happen to them. Because he's God, because he knows better than they do. If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. I think sometimes we're so angry with God because he put us in a tough spot or we assume he put us in a tough spot. But if he's that great, Keller says, then he's great enough to have a reason for putting you there. And to challenge his care is to completely miss what he's up to. For me, I love a, a good Special Forces movie, right? And every good Special Forces movie begins with the training. And you watch these young men and, and women train for their future as uh, like the, just the elite of all the soldiers. I, I can watch them. it doesn't they don't have to be American soldiers. I can watch It's just amazing to watch different uh, development of men and women to be elite, and the training is relentless to the point where they have to question whether the guy or the lady training them loves them. But in the end, when they see action. When they're finally under real enemy fire, they know they were loved. And Jesus has taken 12 guys, 11 of which he's going to build his kingdom on top of. He's going to establish the church. And you and I are beneficiaries for the training that those guys got in the midst of a storm 2,000 years ago. And your children and your neighbors are the beneficiaries for the training that you get in the storms of life. As God develops our faith, if we'll go to Him. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus woke up and He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, check it out silence, power, right? Silence. I imagine Him actually raising His voice on this, but perhaps not. Silence. Be still, power. Straight up power. When you think of of uh, Hurricane Zeta, right? I think that's how you say it. The, the coming on shore uh, in Louisiana, even this week, and Jesus walking down to the shore on the Gulf Coast and just saying, "Silence, be still." And then the passage says that uh, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Better translate: dead calm, glassy sea. Man, with the nation right now enamored with power, right? All of us are afraid one way or another, who's going to be in power. Some of us are afraid either way or the other of who's going to be in power. Power, the most powerful position we have in our nation, really the most powerful position in the world. And yet, man, These guys can't walk into a thunderstorm and tell it to be quiet, be still, right? They they just have limited power that men and women give them. Jesus is the definition of power. He's the creator of the wind and the water. And so when he says, be silent, be still, and there's a great calm, he's demonstrating for you and me this power that we could potentially rest in. I love his response to the to the uh, disciples that are on the boat because I feel like he said it to me a hundred times over, a thousand times over. Then he asked him, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? That doesn't sound like a real fun thing to hear. (laughs) certainly not fun when I have to hear it. And he's basically saying, I've shown you so much. You guys have seen me do a variety. Don't you remember? You just saw me heal the paralyzed guy. And why are you panicking right now? I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. I feel like he's had to tell me that. Man, sometimes every day. Feels like I kind of go in a rut and he just has to keep reminding me. And I, I want you to be reminded right now because he's saying it to us. He's saying it to us. Do you still have no faith? In the middle of COVID, which has been, I can't really articulate any other good word for it than a storm, a fierce storm. Perhaps the Lord's trying to get our attention and to test our faith and put our our finger on the fact that we have no faith, or very limited faith, and, and put our finger, his finger on it so that he, so that he can develop us, so that we could, so that we could grow. What I love about it is, uh, you don't leave them after this. You know, the really good coach will challenge his player, but the player knows he's not leaving. The really good dad will correct his child, and the child knows he's not leaving because he loves them, right? So there's this, this is the living God who's demonstrated his power in front of his disciples time and time again, and here he's done it again. He wants them to grow so bad that he's frustrated with him, but he, he ain't leaving, he's staying. Uh, I read this quote this week, and it, it bothered me. Shame to say. It was people who believe more must not be hard on those who believe less. I was thinking back to our talk last week about self righteousness. And uh, I read that quote and I'm like, why does that bother me? Because sometimes I think this Christian faith, this walk that we have is a competition and I'm competing against you and you're competing against me and and this is some kind of a a game. And I read that quote and I go, that doesn't feel right. Certainly it's right. Jesus is patient with those who have limited faith, with little faith. And certainly we ought to be patient as well. As a matter of fact, right now, even as I preach, man, if you're struggling with faith in the middle of the storm, we want to walk with you. Even if you feel like you just have a tiny bit, man, we want to walk with you. And actually what we'd like to do is pray that the Lord would give you faith. He's trusted some of, he's been developing it in some of us, like a storm will come along and he develops it and, and, and he's develops it in a variety of ways, sometimes by what we're taking in from his word, but he develops this faith and we're thankful for it. It's something he developed in us. It's not something we can be proud of. It's something we want to give away. We want to help somebody else have. So if you want to grow in faith, that's what Radius is about. And if you, uh, you want to just take a step right now, when you stop listening to me and just ask the Lord, please, please develop my faith. Help me take another step. Give me more faith. The disciples were absolutely terrified, it says. Pretty amazing statement. They just saw a massive storm disappear in a second. And a few minutes ago, they were afraid for their lives and now they're terrified of the man on the boat with them. Because they're they're afraid of things more powerful than them, right? So they're just knocked off their feet by the storm. But then they saw Jesus, who is the infinitely powerful one. We use a word called omniscient. He's the all-powerful God. And they quake in their shoes and they say, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you want to know who that man is? So there's this uh, process that happens for you and me, those of us that know Jesus, that uh, if we continue to seek him, then uh, we get to know him more and more. And it seems like over the course of a lifetime, we know more and more who that man is, and it is in some ways more terrifying because as you get to know Him better, He is so far beyond us. It is uh, it's humbling, but really, really good. I want you, uh, as you consider this passage and then even get ready to sing this song, and even on Tuesday when some of that chaos hits the fan on whatever your news channel of choice is, and then even as you prepare for next Sunday, I want you to prepare to be asking who is this man in this deep, reverent, respectful way so that when you sing this song in just a minute, sing it understanding that you don't understand how great he is. And after the election, whichever way it goes, remind yourself that you don't understand how great he is no matter how much you've worked at it. When we get together next week, we're going to sing a lot because we do not want to forget that we worship the God with ultimate power. It's amazing. (laughs) It's, It's shocking that he would have us in his presence. Here's what's interesting. Jesus leads us into storms at times, walks us through storms. Sometimes we put ourselves in storms and he meets us there as much as we will, as much as we'll reach out to him. But at the very end of his life, he walked into the most awful storm that we could ever imagine, right? Our own sin, the fact that we were born into sin. And then you and I have proved that we're sinners over a lifetime. If you want to debate that, I would love to debate that with you because I'm sure you prove it really quickly, just like I have even this week, that I'm a sinner and that sin separates me from God and that the, the damnation that would come from Me being a sinner, being sent to hell by a living God is is the storm that is the infinite awesome storm. And I had no way around it. I chose to walk into it based on my birth and based on my activity since birth. Instead, Jesus, he came to this earth as we're learning in Mark, and he brings the good news. And the good news is that he will walk in to the ultimate storm on my behalf. And by his blood and his body being broken, he will calm the storm. He'll put me in a place uh, one day next to his father in heaven and I will be in the ultimate place of peace and rest for all eternity. And I did nothing, nothing to deserve it outside of believing And the awesome God who died for me. Well, we celebrate that all the time at Radius. We set up bread and juice around and we walk up COVID style right now, it's a little odd, but nonetheless, even COVID style, we do not wanna forget. We do this in remembrance of Him because uh, we look forward to a day of perfect peace and rest with Him. And even you and I right now, as we walk the planet, we enjoy the peace and rest that He brings by demonstrating His power on the cross. Praise Jesus, huh? Let's pray together. We'll say it, Lord. You're all powerful. We use a big word to feel better about it, omniscient. We believe that that day in that boat, that you calmed the storm. And we proclaim that as good news, Lord. All of us, we agree to that. Yet we don't understand it, Lord. We still look at it, even though we've heard it, some of us, hundreds of times, and some of us, maybe this is just the first. Lord, we don't understand it. We say in our hearts, who is this man? And we pray, Jesus, that you would meet us even this week as we walk the week and we hope to be lights in a really chaotic time in our nation. We want to know who you are. Even as you and I walk this week, Lord, and I ask you, who are you? I, I know who you are, but I want to know who, more of who you are. I want to know more of that power that you demonstrate. So I pray for that. I pray for that for Radius Church, for all of our partners, and f- pray that your power will be demonstrated through us as we try to love this community and communities at this point. Lord, demonstrate your power through us. Lord, as we take bread and juice, we, we just state, Jesus, that you are Lord and that you've done the most powerful work in the history of mankind by dying on the cross. And we thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.